Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, E.K., I'm Mariah Rose. Uh, Welcome, everybody. If this is your first time listening, you've discovered a podcast about the 80s, unless you uh, discovered us last week. Oh, yeah. Then it was not a podcast about the 80s. Confusing. Um, Yeah, it was confusing. We did our first time travel episode on here. Yeah. Hopefully people enjoyed it. I didn't really hear <laughs> anything either way. So. We're just screaming at the void. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I thought it was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. But we are, we're back in the 80s. Yep. So no worries, everybody. You Calm can it chill down. out. Yeah, we're going to talk about the 80s again. Jeez. As though it never happened. Ooh, until it happens again. Yeah, you don't know when we're going to press start on the time machine. Wouldn't it be funny if we time traveled but to the 80s? Well, we joked about that, remember? <laughs> like, just moving, like, one year forward. I just make jokes that are the same over but and yeah, over. That'd be pretty good. Well, anyway, uh, what's going on in your life? No, i um, been painting a lot, because I'm also an artiste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've said that a time or two on here. Mentioned it, have a show uh, opening this week, so that's kind of exciting. Good. Yeah, I haven't really been showing with COVID times, so... Nice to do that again. Yeah, it's been a slow start for the arts in general, both um, fine arts and the music scene and Mm -hmm. film. It's just, it's been a little tough getting back out there, but I think things are starting to change. Maybe. I don't know. Everything's different. It's like we've opened the door to a new post-COVID world. Yeah. And we're like, what's happening here? Yeah. Okay, is that your hot take? <laughs> hot wow, take. I thought you were going to get deep there for a second. Well, my eyebrows, you, you can't listen and see eyebrows move, but you, co-host, could see these waggling brows, and I think I maybe thought, made it, made you think that I was going to say more. Yeah, it was, but I wasn't. really tricked me there. I ran out of gas. You know who else ran out of gas? Who? A random small community in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. That was a different movie. Oh. Speaking of movies in wastelands, though, we are Mm -hmm. going to be talking about one this week. We are just going to hop right into it because it's a fun one. It's a classic. Everybody knows it. We're talking about the one and only Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. The world had been through a trial by fire, and only the greatest warriors and their deadliest enemies emerged from the flames. Who are you? Nobody. I'm still... I can feel it. The dice are rolling. (laughs) He was the one they called mad. But he's just a raggedy man. But to those whose lives hung in the balance. Where's the waiting ones? Waiting for what? Waiting for you. He was the one they called hero. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Dying times here. Now, Mad Max is back. In Beyond Thunderdome. Mel Gibson. Tina Turner, Mad Max, Beyond Thunderdome. Mad Max, Beyond Thunderdome. Mm-hmm. You know what that means? No. 
that this was filmed in Australia. <laughs> and I think we probably would have gotten to this episode sooner. I'm oh, sorry, mate. Oh. My flight was delayed. Oh, every time. You know what that is? What? Osploitation. No, that's not Osploitation. Mad Max is Osploitation. It's true, but also that was Osploitation. Okay. My awesome accent? Oh, okay. Is that what we're going with? Yeah. You know what Australian people call my accent? What? Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So last night I uh, had a bit of a revelation. Oh, what's that? I've been adding to the title of this movie. It's not significant. But it was a revelation. I thought it was beyond the Thunderdome. (laughs) And it's just beyond Thunderdome. I think you're not alone there. I think the vast majority of people think it's called that. Well, you know, I pride myself in just reading things accurately. So this was kind of... I was disappointed in myself and my abilities and just kind of questioning my identity ever since. Yeah, well, I wasn't going to say anything, but I was a little disappointed in you, too. (gasps) Oh. I expect more. You're my co-host. I'm sorry. If you're not going to step up to the plate, then what? Okay, I feel like I've really stepped it up, because if you listen to our early episodes, often it's about me talking about how I fell asleep through the film. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I haven't fallen asleep in... I mean, I I sleep, just not in our movies. It's been a while. I feel like you were close to drifting at a point in this one. I got a a little bit glassy-eyed at the end, but it's because I've seen it a few times. When did you first see this movie? It would have been high school... Um, I didn't have access to it on television because, as we know, I was living in a small town with 12 stations or 12 channels. And my parents were not about to let me watch a PG-13 before I was 13. (laughs) That's so weird. Yeah. Okay. So you were in high school. This doesn't seem like a film you would have watched in high school. I don't, I I would have at some point, and I know I did. Probably it came on TBS or TNT, and I watched it that way. Do you think that this was your first introduction into the genre of post-apocalyptic, or do you think that you had already known about that genre? I knew about the genre. I I maybe didn't have the words to describe it, but I had definitely watched post-apocalyptic stuff. What about you? You probably came out of the womb watching it. Yeah, I definitely watched this one as a kid. This was another one of those ones I loved. I saw, you know, it's interesting talking about trilogies that are really precious to people and, Mm -hmm. you know, what order you saw it in. I think a lot of people like to lie about that. You know, like for me, (laughs) well, it's weird. It's like some weird kind of, well, dude, I I heard that album first. It's that thing. Mm. Um, People do it with the Evil Dead all the time. Like I saw Army of Darkness first. Just because that's what I had available and I was the right age. Mm -hmm. Then I went back and saw Evil Dead 2 then saw Evil Dead 1. They all happened pretty quick. Mm-hmm. But I'm not somebody who was like, yeah, man, I was there. I saw it part one, then part two, and then sure, yeah, finally got around to that. I feel like Mad Max is kind of the same way. There's not a lot of people who started with Mad Max, then yeah. The Road Warrior, then Thunderdome. I think a lot of people our age, Thunderdome was like a mega hit, in in my mind anyway. It wasn't really, but it, it seemed like the big one. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I saw the Mad Max character. I loved it. And then I went backwards and saw The Road Warrior and then Mad Max. I actually went in reverse order, which is really jarring because thematically they change significantly throughout the trilogy over the course of this takes place from Mad Max in 79 
to Beyond Thunderdome in 85. That's a 20-year gap in the story uh, as far as, like, mm-hmm. the, the character is concerned. And what happens between that is basically, you know, the decline of the entire world into a post-apocalyptic wasteland. But it doesn't start that way in 79. Mm-hmm. So to go backwards and watch them that way was really interesting. And I yeah. remember doing that as a kid. Well, I probably saw Mad Max by the time I was 12 or 13, so, I mean, you know, by, by high school, I'd seen all three of them, and then I rewatched all three, but in the right order, and it was really interesting. Yeah, I think similarly, I don't, I don't know which one I saw first, but they all sort of blended together, and I don't think it was for a few years until a, or until a few years later that I realized that they were three separate movies, because mm-hmm. I think I saw bits and pieces and just assumed it was part of the same movie, and then finally saw all three, but I think I did finally watch them all in order at the time that I realized that there were three movies. Yeah, well, and it helps because you have the same voice throughout. You have the same lead actor. You have the mm-hmm. same director. We'll get into all that. But that really does help that consistency. There's really only one major shift or two in between the third and the first two that that is noticeable. But otherwise, yeah, they all do kind of blend together really well. I think mm-hmm. they work well as a trilogy overall. And we'll talk about that at the end. But um, as far as the post-apocalyptic genre in general, as our listeners know, it's one of my all-time favorites, what I mainly collect, and um, there really is no going around that Mad Max is kind of the definitive gold standard, as, at least for the wasteland um, subgenre of post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. This is it, and everything that came after it was just trying to copy what had been created with the costumes and the storyline and the characters and all this kind of stuff. So it is fascinating that for a very short amount of time in the mid to late 80s, it set off just a massive amount of copycat films Mm -hmm. globally, mainly in Italy, but really throughout the world. And when you look back at it, especially with these three it all kind of stems back to Mad Max Part Two, The Road Warrior. Really, yeah. that's like that is, in my opinion, maybe people will argue with me, but I think that is the absolute like definitive post-apocalyptic wasteland movie. It doesn't really get any better than that. Yeah, and I think something about this wasteland, the desert, the sand—it's really, I think, more frightening than most uh, post-apocalyptic movies we had seen at the time because it was a lot of like nuclear threat and nuclear fallout but then if there was a movie made after the fact it was still kind of the same place but without people or something this looks like an unlivable landscape and you would have to be just the toughest person to survive you just can't imagine surviving in that landscape Yeah, that's a good point. I will say, you know, there had been a couple, but overall, a lot of the 70s post-apocalyptic stories and 60s were, yeah, they were more like the world came to an end because of some nuclear device or something, Mm -hmm. but people are still trying to re-inhabit the world by a a seaside location or in Mm -hmm. a forest or whatever. It's just that they don't have technology anymore. Whereas with the Mad Max trilogy, yeah, you're really, everything's been decimated. And I think we just assume that's how post-apocalyptic is, because after that, all the Italian films that came after mm-hmm. mainly take place in wasteland settings. So we just assume that's how they all were. But 
it really um, maybe wasn't as effective as Mad Max was. Yeah, and I don't think Mad Max was the first, uh, the A Boy and His Dog or whatever. Sure, yeah. I mean, that's um, a classic, too. Yeah. They already existed, but I don't think, I think what was working in the advantage of Mad Max is the landscape of Australia. Uh. So let's talk about that. Like, as as everybody knows, this is an Ozploitation, this is the Ozploitation film. Mm-hmm. Um, it they All three of them took place in Australia, which they used to an amazing effect to create this wasteland yeah. imagery. These huge, vast, barren landscapes. Uh, it's pretty incredible. The Red Desert, you know, it's... So it starts off... Well, with with Mad Max, you see it, but not as much because it hasn't gone... It's not a, it's not a wasteland yeah. yet. It's just like... Uh, the beginning of the Social end. order is starting to yeah. decline. It's Mad Max 2, the road warrior, that you start to see it. And all the gangs and your classic, like, football helmets and spikes and chains and stuff. Yeah. Crazy cars. Everything. And then by 3, Beyond Thunderdome, you get to see it even more with these great landscapes. So I think filming it in Australia was a really smart move. Mm-hmm. And it was filmed um, with that intent, right? Like, it was written to try and act as though there had been some catastrophe. Yeah. So life couldn't exist anymore, except for these weird small pockets of people who are banding together and trying to make the most of it. Yeah, just hardened survivalists. Yeah, seen and it all. marauders and, you know, these road gangs and stuff like that. So as most people know, this was directed by George Miller. He did all three of them. Um, it was also co-created and kind of co-written by his longtime producer Byron Kennedy so they had the two voices together they really went off of each other we already discussed they created Mad Max and then the Road Warrior and that was really supposed to be it Uh, they were pretty close together Mad Max was 79 Road Warrior was 81 and then George Miller was really done like he didn't think that he was going to bring back the Mad Max character And I would agree with that. And I would think like these really hardcore fans would too. If you watch those two back to back, it's really a well done, you know, two part story. I don't know if it really needed to <laughs> to go on. Uh, you know, the, the character had been redeemed. He'd kind of like found a purpose and helped and then went back onto his his way. I don't know if we really needed to follow his character anymore. But what had happened was George Miller, you know, a couple years later was working on a script for this another post-apocalyptic story, but this one was about a group of children who were kind of wild and living in this random, you know, isolated environment in this wasteland. And then uh, a stranger comes along and they think he's a savior that's going to take them to a better civilization, which sounds very familiar. Mm -hmm. It was during this writing that was supposed to be this kind of Lost Boys idea that... George Miller got the idea of, well, well, what if Mad Max was the savior? And then he just basically adapted that script into Mad Max Part 3, Beyond Thunderdome. So it is interesting to see how that story evolved. Yeah. Um, it takes it out of the traditional Mad Max universe of just uh, road rage and, <laughs> uh, you know, marauders with Surviving. S&M gear on mm-hmm. and makes it more into a very expansive, much more involved wasteland world where you get to meet other civilizations that are, you know, existing in the same universe. So I think for that reason, 
there was a point to a part three. It got to really grow the universe of Mad Max significantly and add more depth to the character in that world that hadn't existed prior to that. Mm -hmm. You know, really prior to that, it was just really an action film. So I don't know. What do you think about the idea of adding... A th- or, you know, a third part to this. Well, and it's since had more added to it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, this one was a little odd, and there are a lot of reasons why it was a little odd. But at this point, I've so wholly accepted it into the canon of Mad Max that it it doesn't really bother me or seem out of place. It's just a different piece, for sure. Yeah, it, there is a, a significantly noticeable change in tone yes. with part three. And I think that you can still love the film, but you have to acknowledge it's different from the first two. Yeah. First two are played pretty straight. This one has humor in it. It's more family friendly in a way. You know, it's like a PG. It's the first PG-13. Mm-hmm. It's not rated R. But there's also some other things that went into to play. So we'll talk a little bit about this right now because a lot of it's speculation. But Really, the big thing is, as this was being developed right before they were about to go into production, so Byron Kennedy, his co-writer and mm-hmm. one of his closest friends, died and um, you know passed away unexpectedly, and this really affected George Miller considerably. How could he not? Yeah, I mean, it was like it crushed him. Also, this was the second half of the Mad Max creator, so you don't have that. I mean, I'm oh oversimplifying everything for you nerds out there but we're just kind of giving you the broad strokes here it it kind of took away that second voice to help flesh out this story in addition to that it is said that george kind of was so depressed and devastated and grieving that he lost interest in the project and he was kind of like what's even the point as the story goes but it was later disproven is that that is why there's a second director to be on Thunderdome his name was George Ogilvie and he this was his first film he had done a couple TV things and he was brought in and as the legend goes George Miller basically just only directed the action scenes and left everything else to the other George but that's not true George Miller later in interviews said that's completely false we were together the entire film co-directing yeah but I do think he probably did bring somebody else in because he just didn't have the energy or the enthusiasm that he originally had intended on having. That's totally fair. In addition to that, the other big thing that would be a noticeable shift is in the music. So the score for Mad Max and Road Warrior was done by Brian May. And of course, we always have to say, not that Brian May from <laughs> Queen. <laughs> We're talking about the Australian Brian May. Uh, he did the first two films. They're iconic. Yeah. They are absolutely one of the major characters to the film Are is the scores. But for some reason, he was busy or they couldn't get him or something like that. So he had to sit out the third one. And they brought in a veteran composer, Maurice Jarre, who was known for these epic films like Lawrence of Arabia and Dr. Zhivago and stuff like that. And you can tell right away. So... It's a good score. I'll, I will give him credit, but it's definitely a very different score for Mad Max in that universe. Yeah, I think also it feels less raw. Yeah, it's much more polished. And one of the thing that, things that is so great about the first two is that they're gritty. Mm-hmm. They're very very raw. And then you get to this where you can go. There's a lot of money 
involved yeah. in this and a lot of voices chiming in. So I think all of that definitely colors the tone of this movie. With that said, it still fits in, I would say. Yeah, I do think that the score works well. It's just that it's so um, it's so epic sounding in parts that, and I said this when we were watching it this last time, is that with the humor and the kids and the score that's very Hollywood, it feels more like a George Lucas film or yeah. a Steven Spielberg film than it does a George Miller film. I know that seems blasphemous, but like it's still got moments. I would say really the beginning through the Thunderdome mm-hmm. itself and then the ending with this great, you know, the road race. sequence. Yeah. Those feel very much bookend like a, a solid George Miller film. It's the middle part that loses some people with the whole children and yeah. that substory, where it gets goofy and the score's really amped up. It, it feels like like they're playing off of the Indiana Jones kind of vibe and stuff like that. And so I can see why this has a little controversy with yeah. diehard fans, is that this one is a little odd out. And that can be an advantage or a disadvantage, depending on how you view that. Uh, yeah, I think we'll let it be what it is, but definitely agree with you on that. Well, let's talk a little bit about the cast, really just our major players here. First is, of course, Mel Gibson. And you and I kind of talked about it going into this. Like, he's basically been canceled now. He's he's got some rough stuff in his more recent history. However, I researched him a little bit uh, and discovered he has bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. And... That kind of made me go, all right, maybe I don't know his full story and I can give him a little uh, benefit of the doubt. He also struggles with alcoholism. Okay, two things that I think maybe we should consider before we completely cancel a person. I don't know anything about his politics. I don't know about his faith. I know he's outspoken in those things, but knowing those two elements, I am maybe willing to cut him a little slack for some of his really abhorrent behavior in the last, you know, couple decades. Yeah, I think it's difficult when people get canceled later on, because in the case of somebody like Mel Gibson, um, first off, we're talking about his body of work long before any of this stuff happened. So the second is, this is not a Mel Gibson film. This is a George Miller film. Yeah. And that would be a discredit to everybody else involved. So we do live in a time and a day and age when you talk about movies from the past where once people have maybe made mistakes or missteps later on after the movie, you can't just ignore it. You do have to acknowledge it. But at the same time, our podcast is not re- you know revisionist history. We're just talking about the movie and what we thought of it. So let me tell you a little bit about Mel, though, before we go. First off, he is born in America. He's not Australian? Oh, he's Australian, but he was born in America. So he lived, I think, the first four years of his life here. And then he was born in New York and then relocated. Okay, I think I heard this story because I think I read an interview with his mom one time and they asked, why was he not born in Australia? And she said, well, they were planning to be in Australia, but there was a mix up at the airport and his flight was delayed. Wow, you got it in again. Okay. You just watched me set that up and didn't even see it coming. Well, I was just confused. I was like, no, four years. It wasn't a flight delay. (laughs) Oh, oh, we're going to flight delay. All right. Yeah, so his family has roots in Australia, but he, he wasn't actually born there. He has nine 
children. Whoa, is that a religious thing? They're super Catholic. Okay. And also, he comes from a family. He's the, I think, sixth of 11 children. Holy moly. Yeah. So do what you will with that information. And to get the role of Mad Max, he wasn't originally auditioning. He went in with a friend, although to be clear, he's an actor, so he was auditioning. <laughs> I yeah, think actors all actors. Are always a, yeah, life is a stage. So he went in, but he'd been in like a bar fight or something, and he was all beaten up. And they apparently said to come back. I found this in a couple different sources, but I'm I'm not entirely sure of the story. But essentially, he came back later, and. Uh, got the role of Mad Max, but they had told him to come back to read for a freak. And then they're like, oh, whoopsies, you're kind of a dish. I guess you can be Mad Max. I don't I don't know if his friendship survived, but he became Mad Max. I mean, it was an excellent cast. I do think yeah. that he is the perfect... I mean, granted, that's what we know, but we have seen a second Mad Max, and uh, Mel Gibson is really the Mad Max. And mm-hmm. it's interesting, too, because he was cast when he was pretty young. You know, he was in his 20s. And by the time Thunderdome came out, he was still in his 20s, yeah. but yet the timeline of the story was 20 years later. He had those white patches on the side. Right. But he would have been in his 40s. And yeah. so it is kind of funny to see this younger guy that's supposed to be older. Well, kind of. But also, you can tell he's been in Australia's sun his whole life because he has kind of a weathered look to him, even at 29, that I think maybe our generation doesn't have so much because he does kind of pass for that age just yeah. like a good looking 40 he's like an australian 29 is what you're saying yes yes yeah. i love australia but i'm scared of it anyway let's move on to tina turner our other like big headliner mm-hmm. holy smokes she gives it her all. She's really She's great. She shines in this. She is a, a really great cast. For this, she just sells it. And I knew a little bit about Tina Turner's story. But boy, it was pretty amazing to see her like crazy crazy life story. She was born to sharecroppers and we all know she found met Ike Turner. It's the her whole story is absolutely bonkers. Yeah, so she met him horrible. He was abusive, just awful, awful. And she with him was struggling and struggling to find fame. Like they'd had all these minor hits because obviously she's a singer and they'd had all these hits, but couldn't quite break through to the big time. And when she finally divorced him is when she like remade herself and she didn't leave Ike until she was 40 years old so all of the fame that we know of Tina Turner happens post 40 so if you're listening to this and you're 39 and you're living on a dream (laughs) channel your Tina Turner you just gotta hike up that skirt and show them gams and start dancing because she's got the legs well isn't story go that she has her legs or had her legs um, insured. I don't know. Everybody I says they have their legs. That's the case. Anybody can go get your own legs insured if you're really that vain. It reminds Anybody me of can George Costanza when he is a hand model. Yeah. Remember, and he has to protect him. Oh, yeah. Totally. Well, you know what blew me away about Tina Turner is when you told me what year she was born. 
Yeah, it was 1936 or 39, something like that. <laughs> she was born in the 1930s. Yeah. That's like Dust Bowl era. So, oh gosh. After she was had split from Ike, they were she was like struggling, just playing like, you know, at hotel bars level struggle 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 bus and then she got to open just by chance for olivia newton john and convinced oh, her ip yeah and convinced her agents to sign her and so they did and she finally on her own worked her way up to finding incredibly significant success uh her first breakthrough was let's stay together and then obviously private dancer and then she went on to like do collabs with david bowie and mick jagger i mean yeah she she was a mega star when i was a kid yeah she exploded and then um she for this film she weighs a hundred or she's Five foot four, and I don't know what she weighs, um, but she wore a costume that weighed 120-something pounds. So I'm sure she didn't weigh much more than that. So just think of that next time you watch it. That's some dedication. She also had to shave her head for the role so she could fit the wig. She was written... As the part, like they wrote mm-hmm. her in mind and didn't think that she would go for it. And, and then she, she was all in. So I thought that was kind of cool, too. And then um, I also wanted to just briefly mention um, Bruce Spence, who plays the uh, pilot Jedediah, mm-hmm. because he's just great. Uh, I love his character, but I just kind of fell into his story. And he was raised in a vineyard, became an artist. Really, I think he got a degree in horticulture. And just kind of fell into acting, has a super duper successful career, and now just takes care of his garden. He still works, but he also um, helps by donating his time at gardens, like garden (laughs) centers. It's interesting you bring him up. We should mention him really quick, because this is something that always comes up with the Mad Max universe, is that he is in part two and three. Yeah flying around and it's not the same character yeah it's very confusing and so just to clarify because it's confusing to a lot of people he just happened to be cast as a similar character in part three because they needed somebody last minute who you know somebody pulled out last minute because george had worked with him called him up and said will you fill this role and he said sure well i don't think they really thought that one through because then (laughs) You start part three with the same guy who was flying around in part two, flying around in part three. And everybody was like, wait, what's going on? Yeah. They're not even acknowledging each other as though they know each other already. And he helps like, you know, free a group of people by the end, just Mm -hmm. like in part two. So it is very confusing. But just clarification out there for those people. This is not the same character. Nope. (laughs) He just is the same character (laughs) in spirit. I Just ride with it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, those are the main characters that we would know, apart from a couple that we'll get to in just a second. Yeah. But let's talk about how it differs from the first two films as far as the stories go. Okay, so obviously the film still set in the desert of a post-apocalyptic Australia. Max, our hero, from the, whom we already know, his uh, general adventure continues 15, 20 years in the future. He finds himself... Uh, through a series of events in the community of, we're calling it a community, in Barter Town, which is, as its name implies, a place for bartering. So it's like a market for people to trade, and it's just kind of out in the middle of the wasteland. The town is ruled by a character played by Tina Turner named Auntie Entity. 
and she's looking to take complete tr- control of Bartertown, like she's the figurehead of Bartertown. However, she's kind of sharing power with um, Master Blaster. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Master Blaster. This is the character that's like, you know, I, what I do like is each film, I think Max being the one in part one, well, I mean, there's Toe Cutter, but... Each film has distinctive villains that are really identifiable, mm-hmm. two being the best, obviously. But with part three, Master Blaster is that standout character who doesn't survive incredibly long, but is so iconic. Yeah. And let's talk about this design of this character. Okay, please do. So it's two brothers, basically, who I guess shared a womb. That's what kind of doesn't make sense when you see the helmet come off, but... No. We're just going to suspend reality the for a second. The age is definitely significantly different. So one is the brains, one is the brawn. And one is a little person who sits on top of his brother. Yeah, like kind of piggyback style. Yeah, like he's his horse and he rides him around. <laughs> and the brother just has a helmet on all the time and he's ripped like a professional wrestler. Mm-hmm. And basically just crushes anybody who gives a uh, master any kind of trouble master being the, the smart little guy on top blaster being the brains uh, blaster doesn't say a word he's just kind of this force to be reckoned with with muscle w- meanwhile master is the one that's scheming and trying to like work under in the underworld and of barter town to take over and slowly control all of it from Tina Turner's character. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the under underside of um, of Bartertown. Uh, it runs on electricity, which is fueled by methane gas produced by pigs. Mm-hmm. So these pigs are kept underneath Bartertown. And Master and Blaster control the pigs and the people. So they actually have a tremendous amount of power because they can stop the power, essentially shutting down Barter Town. And so Auntie Entity wants to do away with Blaster so there's no brawn, only brain. And Master can do his job down there but not have any physical power. Yeah, not be able to exert his like control. Mm-hmm. And he's, for being so smart... Uh, really funny because his the way he speaks is in this broken kind of like dollar store version of Yoda where he's like you know <laughs> uh, me like pigs me make you look at pigs you know <laughs> all, constantly well I think that we're so far into the apocalypse that a new like lingo is developing except he's the only one that speaks like that uh, maybe he's leading the way he's holding the torch yeah me I don't. no like to learn new language. <laughs> Me speak how I want to speak. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Auntie Entity takes Max hostage and guarantees his release if uh, he can kill Blaster in the Thunderdome. So the Thunderdome is basically just a big half circle cage it's, where yeah, it's just people death, fight to the death. death cage match where two men enter and one leaves yes max agrees obviously and the fight is really the show within the thunderdome and everything is going great max is about to win until he knocks off blaster's helmet and discovers that it's a buff man with down syndrome with like a like a not a baby's head but it's really well it's really the distinctly age is so weird distinctly 
different body and head in their awkward shots, so it does not match. Although it's effective. Yes, Blaster's actually paid by, uh, played by Peter Larson. I really love this whole first act of the film. Yeah. I think it comes out really strong, and it feels like Mad Max still, but it's got a little bit more expanse to it. I love Barter Town. I think it's mm-hmm. so cool looking. I think it really just heightens the whole idea of a post-apocalyptic landscape with all the costumes and the set design. It must have been a blast to work on. And I think that it's so well done that this whole first act of the film, all the way up till the death of Blaster and the capture of Master by Tina Turner, is as solid. I mean, I, I do think the film up till this point is great. It's the next next act that takes a pretty bizarre twist. And I think for longtime fans, it's like, cool, we're on this journey. But for other people, this is the moment going back when this first premiered that kind of lost some diehard fans yeah. of like, wait, what are we doing now? It Why are we watching this? Me. And it does slow down and it gets a little convoluted and weird. Yeah. So what happens is the transition is Max refuses to kill Blaster when he realizes that he has Down syndrome. Somebody else does. And Max ultimately ends up banished to the desert. He's set out on a horse. Horse dies and he almost dies. And he is discovered by a tribe of like children and adolescents whose parents had perished in a plane crash and they've developed their own weird society with like strange bits of facts from that their parents had passed down and it's weird it's the lord of the flies for sure but it's the original script so this is goes back to what we were saying at the beginning is this was the movie that he was planning on making minus mad max i will say it's a little jarring I, i it's a little out of place I mean, I think when you grow up with Beyond Thunderdome, you're like, well, what? This is just the part of the film where all the kids discover him. But when you stop and think about it, it's a little strange. Also, just logically thinking of how would there be this many kids without that many adults around to give birth to that many kids? It's really kind of odd. Like the ratio is a little strange that they're living out there in the wild. Well, yeah, I mean, it it begs a lot of questions like, okay, if all of these parents crashed out here whenever the apocalypse happened, it was 20 years, they would be like Mad Max's age, so they should be around still. Instead, it's like teenagers and little kids. Some of the, at least one of the teenagers is pregnant, so there's a sense that it's continuing on, but there are no adults left and that's strange like how did all the kids survive and no adults it's very weird and then there are these characters and you're like is this gonna be a romantic interest what's happening it's really it is weird weird. that being said i actually like um this part of the story as its own idea i like the idea that in the middle of a wasteland there could be this little pocket of an oasis with running water and green like i mean it's lush and you could live there your whole life that they're just living in this little weird hidden gem mm-hmm. in the middle of of the desert and they develop their own weird language and all that i think that's really interesting i was reading a review about this that really i thought said something uh smart is that if you watch this film with the other two, 
this is where the problems start to kind of come up. Mm-hmm. But if you just think of this film as its own isolated movie and its own story, it's actually pretty interesting. And yeah. I would agree with that because if we didn't think of Mad Max as we had in part two, be like, it's just this guy who's like discovering different civilizations in the desert. But because the tone of this whole scene with kids playing and swinging around and telling stories, it's like the Ewok village yeah. is what it feels like. You know, they're like, ooh, ah, getting stories told about these legends. And then yeah. the music's all goofy and Steven Spielberg. Yes. Like, this is where it starts. The, just the tone overall does not match a Mad Max film. No. Even though it is a Mad Max film, I can see the argument for why this one loses a, a few people in this moment. But yeah. in true George Miller fashion... <laughs> He rectifies that by the end of the film for the third act, which is like full-fledged right back to Mad Max. Yeah, basically it's just like weird kid hijinks for the second act and Mad Max kind of going along with it. We don't need to get into it. It's pretty boring, honestly. But then we get to a really awesome chase scene at the end. Yeah, it's great. It's so it's back to what put Mad Max on the map was even before it was a post-apocalyptic thing. Mad Max wasn't. It was just a, you know, like we said, a civilization in decline with these insane stunts and car chases. That was like the legacy of Mad Max already. So it was expected. You had to have this. Mm-hmm. And um, they deliver again. I mean, it's a really cool, the whole scene of, of the chase and everything is awesome. And the idea that they get away and uh, he get, by the end of the film goes on to like, lead them to what is it they go to sydney or something like yeah. that and it's blown out i also really like this because you get to see the decimated city in ruins yeah and i love it it's all in miniature which i of course will love yeah. um and they end up basically they this is their new civilization this is where they're going to rebuild their life as in this decimated city why would they leave i'd say because it's safer in general, it's way safer than out in the wasteland where there's no access to anything. Well, they had water and food. Yeah, I don't know why they left that oasis in the first place. That was kind of weird, too. Yeah. I mean, they were living in a pretty sweet They had water. Setup. And then Max doesn't stay with him. He does what Max does best and wanders back into the desert. Yeah. Overall, it's a great adventure story. And I think it's interesting that it tells multiple kind of stories happening in this world mm-hmm. um but it's just it's not part two and if you're diehard fan which i am i would say even though i saw this first uh two got me like as soon as i saw part two that was the film that was the quintessential post-apocalyptic film and i was hooked mm-hmm. i had already seen escape from new york so oh. i already knew what i liked and this just pushed it over the top so I don't know. Um, I'm more forgiving of this film. I always have been because I like it, even though it's got its problems and it maybe doesn't fit as well. I grew up with it just being a Mad Max film. So I've never really not thought of it that way. I could see maybe if people saw the 79 premiere and then the 81 premiere that they would be a little annoyed by this. But I don't know. I would imagine over the years you'd get over that, too. Hopefully. That's a weird thing to get hung up on. (laughs) It was well received. I mean, it made money. It was a minor success. It didn't do amazing, but it definitely made money. And Tina Turner 
milked it with a couple singles. One was a, like a number two hit or something like that. I think she won a Grammy. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. So there, a lot came of it and everybody's stock raised because of it. Um, but overall, I mean, it was interesting. And this was not the last time George Miller would use the character. And we'll talk about that. But before Fury Road that happened years later, there was a an in-between um, moment that happened. What's that? Well, basically, pretty shortly after this, the concept of turning Mad Max into a TV series started. And that got put into development. And it was greenlit. Like, they were in production to make it happen. And then the guy who was cast as the lead actor for the TV show was injured, severely injured. And so he could no longer be able to play Max. And that put a stop to everything. Okay. And um, then it kind of just faded away from there. But for a brief time, it was around the Xena Warrior Princess era. George really was planning on turning this into a TV series, which I don't know. I bet it wouldn't have aged very well. No. I think it would have been kind of cheesy. Yeah, but at I the agree. same time, it would have been kind of fun to see more of that world and that yeah, character. I could see it getting really formulaic and boring. Yeah, though. like it would be is like this week's journey or adventure. Who's he going to rescue this week? That's yeah. what I think it probably would have turned into. Yeah, for sure. I could see it easily wearing out. Well, before we get into um, the second part of this post Thunderdome, I, we should probably do a, a fun facts for the week, right? Yeah. <laughs> As we have now started, I am going to give you four fun facts. Oh. And one of them is true. Okay. You have to pick which one it is. Okay. Okay, are you ready? I'm a little stressed, yeah. Okay. Fun fact number one. Okay. Part of Beyond Thunderdome, when they're in the White Desert, was actually filmed at White Sands National Monument in New Mexico. Number two, in the epic chase scene at the end, three stuntmen were actually killed on set. Oh my goodness, I hope that's not true. Fun fact number three, during the production of the TV series, after the lead actor was injured, Bruce Campbell of the Evil Dead fame was brought in as a possible replacement and almost played Mad Max. Or number four, one of the kids from the Lord of the Flies scene mm-hmm. later went on to help write Fury Road. Okay. All right. Let's work through these. I'm going to say no to A. Okay. Not filmed at White Sands. Because we lived near White Sands and I feel like I would have never heard the end of it from you. <laughs> Darn. So, Crikey, you got me there, mate. Yeah. So I feel like I know that one, even though it looks like White Sands. Um, I'm not sure about three people dying. Seems like a lot, but also kind of believable. Uh, Bruce Campbell. I really want Bruce Campbell to be true, but I'm going to say no. Okay. So So you're down to two and four. Three people died on set or one of the kids went on to help write Fury Road. Okay. Hmm. I kept reading about how things were going bad on set, and I know there was some death, but I kind of thought that was Kennedy, but I'm going to go with it anyway. 
So you're choosing that some three people died during the car chase sequences. It's believable. Sure. Okay. I have some good news and some bad news. Oh, okay. The bad news is you're wrong. Okay, that's I've, good news. I totally made that up. Okay. The good news is the one you wanted to be right is right. Okay. Bruce Campbell was supposed to play what? Mad Max. I yep. thought it was going to be the boy. No. No. What? No. Fury Road was co-written by some comic artist or something like that. I don't that. know. Maybe that kid was some comic artist. <laughs> okay. Bruce Campbell, really? Okay, well, so flash forward to 2015 and we get Fury Road. Okay. This was the big return of George Miller in the Mad Max franchise. We're not going to get into it, but Mel Gibson did not come back for various reasons. I One of the main reasons, which I find kind of strange, is that he was basically too old to play the Mad Max character. Yeah. But they cast somebody who was way too young to still be Mad Max this far in the future because Fury Road was supposed to be picking up after Beyond Thunderdome. And then they kind of scratched that and was like, well, sort of, kind of. And then since then, George Miller has been very loosey-goosey about any of this because they kind of made it up on the spot okay. and adapted it after the fact. So That's okay. I feel like that's its own episode that we're not going to get into. But needless to say, there was a fourth film. We immediately watched it. You know, I was like freaking out the idea of a new Mad Max. I have very mixed feelings about it. And I'm sure that that's shocking to most people. What? I'm like the only person I know of my friends who really likes post-apocalyptic that isn't like a huge fan of Fury Road. We've only seen it once. We own it. We've seen it twice. Have we? And I remember being kind of zoned out and bored by it both times. And so that tells me... Something's not clicking because it's action-packed. It is so uh, much action. I just I think what's happened upon reflection is that it's not Mel Gibson. And I think for me, if you're bringing George back, I'm just kind of a purist that way. It would be like I don't know, you know, I it's like the Star Wars universe. Okay? You you have to bring back certain people and why would you not bring back the actor he's he was that was peak mel gibson problem time though well and that's what george miller said too this was a problematic time he put it very lightly this is a problematic time in mel's career and life Mm -hmm. but it's very similar to indiana jones if you're gonna make a fourth way after the fact bring back harrison ford and they did even though it didn't really work that well they still brought him back so i was willing to watch it and I think that I'm I need to give this another shot <laughs> because I think that from what other people have said it really it's great it tells a story it expands the universe but I just I rejected Tom as Mad Max right away and oh, then I heard no. reports about him being just a total jerk on set and I was like uh I just all of this is this is the problem of living in an era with way too much information yeah. available is like the film hasn't even come out and we're already learning about problems on set Like, Mm. that's not how you're supposed to absorb a film. Yeah, I don't care about any of that. I will say Tom did just fine, in my opinion. I liked Charlize. The strong, like, female cast was nice. I'd like to see a story of her. Mm -hmm. That would have been really cool. Which, there was one plan to be, like... What's her name? Furiosa? Yeah, there should have been her own story. That could have been cool, too. Yeah, I wish I had a cool nickname like that. Yeah. Okay, I, I have a question, though, for you. Okay. If you are... It's your apocalypse time. What is the outfit you're going to assemble? 
oh, I'm going Mad Max all the way. So, so it's going to be shoulder pads, spikes. I'll basically look like if a member of Judas Priest showed up to play football, mm. <laughs> um, but didn't realize that there was no game. So they would be like a mixture of of 80s metal. Mm-hmm. But maybe I would probably up the ante to a little more black metal. So the spikes wouldn't be like little studs like Judas Priest. They'd be like full-fledged yeah. nails on, you know, on wrist guards. Like a DIY situation. Yeah, that's what I would go for. And I would yeah. definitely do the face paint and the big mohawk and the shoulder pads. Oh, man, I would go all out. Yeah. How about you? Uh, same, except for, interestingly, a little Charlie's connection here. I'd go a little Eon Fluxy about it. Maybe, like, some weird bikini with some lace, but also shoulder pads and, like, boots, but different boots. And then, like, (laughs) I don't know, like a pitchfork, but also fully bald. Like, shave my head. You're more of a tank girl style. Oh, yeah. There we go. I could see that. Yeah. I could see you being more tank girl. But not sassy. I'm not that witty. I would just be the weirdy. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well... I don't know. I think that um, that's probably pretty good for discussing Mad Max because yeah, it's really hard not to get into the other films. We sh- yeah. I really was like after we started this thinking maybe we should have actually just done something on all of the Mad Max films. But I, I know I like that we're like you know what let's skip the first two. Well, one seventies we couldn't touch it. Our time travel machine could. Ooh. How funny would it be if our time travel machine just took us to 1979? And we did we did the Mad Max series 3, 1, 2. Yeah. That would be weird. Well, um, if you guys <laughs> liked our time travel episode, let us know because there's a ton of films we'd like to get to. Mm-hmm. And we do have fun doing that. Uh, there's a lot in the 70s and the 60s, the 90s, I want to do Vampiros Lesbos. Yeah, there's a lot. Daughters of Darkness. We've yeah. we've thought about a few. So let us know if that's something that is of interest to you as our listeners. If not, I mean, it's going to be sad. We'll office space it and take the time machine out and smash it with a baseball bat. No. It's going to be sad, but we have to do what's in the best interest of we our do listeners. What, we do what we want. That's right. That was all fake. We're time traveling regardless. Yeah. Okay, well, that is this week's episode on Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. You're welcome. Uh, final thoughts is I absolutely love this film. I, I love The Road Warrior more. Um, that's, that is You've my Mad that Max. You've made that clear. I've made it very clear, but I definitely love Beyond Thunderdome. It's just a classic in my mind. Uh, yeah, it's going to be Beyond the Thunderdome in my mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't get over it. We'll let it. you have it. You're at this age. You know when they're like, you can't teach a dog or an old dog new tricks? Rude. Sometimes you have to let the like boomers just say what they're going to say. Uh, this is your moment. You're older than me. Right. Significantly. But I knew the proper title. Whatever. So I'm just going to let you go on the rest of your life saying the wrong title. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> There's no need to correct you. Okay. I appreciate it and I love you for it. Okay, everybody. Well, that is that. Um, If you liked what you heard, you can always check out other episodes. All of our back episodes are at lasergraves.com. We're anywhere and everywhere you get your podcasts. We come out every two weeks with a new episode. You can follow us on Instagram at lasergraves. And as always, go follow our friends, uh, Bad Taste Video, Tapehead, uh, Neon Brainiacs, 
reconsinimation, the list goes on and on, but there's a lot of us out there doing fun things for you and um, show the love to them as well. It's one big happy family. And until next time, (laughs) we will be wandering the desert looking for another film to cover. We will be. We live in the desert. That's true. All right. I'm already putting my shoulder pads on right now. Got them on this whole time. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.